0: Now, last week we were here and we began the year by talking about the presence of God, the abiding presence of God. And I was attempting to answer the question, what is the essence of the Christian life? And I leaned on Martin Luther's answer, Martin Luther, the German reformer, who when asked this question replied that the essence of the Christian life is to live one's life coram dio. Coram dio meaning to live one's life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, for the glory of God. Now, if you remember last week, I talked about how we ought to strive to live under the gaze of God. That it is a blessed thing when the Lord is looking down on you. That it is not something to fear. Because God's gaze is able to remove our discouragements from past failures or, or from past hurts. And I talked about how even the anxieties of the future, the fact that God assures us he's there for us, that ought to be comforting for us. Comforting for the believer indeed like a son is comforted by the father's presence, not scared away. But for the unbeliever, I said, what a dreadful gaze God's gaze is. As he looks at you, and you know for sure that your evil deeds, your sins, are exposed, laid bare before him. And when judgment comes, because it looms near, You know that you will be expected to give an account, and what a day, a day of dread that will be for you. So flee to God, flee to God because He sees you, and your only refuge is Him. So I ask that we would resolve to live our lives in full light of God, to lean hard on His promise. The promise that he gave Joshua, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And I hope that some of you who have begun perhaps writing your New Year resolutions, that maybe some of the things that will feature there, some questions that will be uh, permanent for you, is as you're writing your resolutions, to ask yourself, how exactly in these resolutions I, uh, I am writing, how am I intending to cultivate a consciousness of the presence of God? Today I'd like us to move to the next part of this answer that Martin Luther gave. And the next answer is that in addition to living under the consciousness or cultivating the consciousness of the presence of God, we must endeavor as believers to live our lives in full submission to the authority of God. That on one end we are living indeed conscious of God who sees us and his presence that is with us, but at the same time, cultivating a submission, a submission to the authority of this God. Now, we talk about authority all the time. We know that the government has authority over us, for example. Your personally perhaps reminds you that too pointedly every end of the month. And maybe for those who have been in Nawiri, we talk about even the sovereignty of God, and we use this term sovereignty of God to talk about the active rule of God over all of the affairs of men and over all matters that concern the earth. But how is it then for us, me and you, to live in submission to this authority of God? How exactly am I supposed to lead my life this year? 2024, in submission to the authority of God. What does that look like? You know, sometimes uh, pastors we preach and you almost feel like this is flying on top of your head. Because how exactly am I supposed to do this? Tomorrow as I go to open my business, as I'm dealing with Kanjoga, Is exactly how does the authority of God come to play in my life or in the business. So allow me to share these under three subheadings. First, the sovereign authority of God. The sovereign authority of God. Second, the willful submission by man. And third, success and prosperity. Success and prosperity. We'll go back to the book of Joshua chapter 1 where we began last week verse 1 to 9 Joshua 1 1 to 9 this is what the bible says after the death of moses the servant of the lord the lord said to Joshua son of Nun Moses aid Moses my servant is dead now then you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the hated land to the great sea on the west. No one, I say no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not stand from it to the right or to the left. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You see, it is interesting to observe that in this text, God comes to the scene. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. God comes to the scene and he speaks to Joshua. But not at any point do we see Joshua saying a thing. There is no one word that is recorded here that has come from Joshua. Last week, I tried to preempt what exactly would be in Joshua's mind, what kind of fears, what kind of discouragements would be plaguing him. But the Bible does not give us any record of what Joshua, did, Joshua said. God comes to the scene, finds Joshua, commands Joshua, tells Joshua he's real, says, Joshua, guess what? My will for you now is that you may rise and go to the land of Canaan across the Jordan. Now, God first here demands from Joshua obedience in action. He is telling him, Arise. Not tomorrow. I say, Now. Now arise. Tell these guys, Get ready. I need you to cross the Jordan. Secondly, I know perhaps you have discouragements, maybe fears, maybe even some hesitation about this move now. The Bible tells us that Jordan, for example, at that time was just flooded. It was the time when Jordan was fully flooded. No, 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 no. He also commands the feelings of Joshua. Not only is he telling him what to do, he's even telling him what to feel. Do you see God here Taking charge, even of the attitudes that Joshua may be having. And he says, I command you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. You know when you tell someone, be courageous, you are telling them to get an attitude. The attitude with which I am commanding you to go forward is courage. Oh, and your feelings. You may be feeling terrified. I say to you, do not be terrified. Oh, you may be feeling discouraged. Do not be discouraged. You see, God has command. When God enters the room, he does not ask, hey, so uh, what are we doing? So, um, guys, gather around. Let's talk. That's not what at least we see him doing with Joshua. He comes and says, Moses is dead. Get up now. I want you to cross the Jordan. No permissions, no consultation, no brainstorming. He has set the time, and the time is now, and you have to obey. He requires it of them. No questions asked. You see, many times we may think that God operates a democracy. Because that's what we are used to as human beings. But that's not God's rule. We call God's rule, in a a theocracy. A theocracy is more of where God, in his reign, dictates everything, controls everything. There is one theologian who I love, his name is Sproul. He says, there is no maverick molecule. You know, maverick is the kind of guy who goes on a, to the wind, you know. He just does what they want. He says that there is no one molecule. Can you remember what molecule is? There is no one tiny atom somewhere that is outside the sovereignty of God, outside the control of God. There is none that decides to do what it wants to do that God does not control. You see, God's theocracy is for the people, yes. But God's theocracy is not by the people. Because there is no human being, there is no creature that ever installed him to power. It is not by the people. And definitely not of the people. Because God is not one of the human beings that you come around and say, okay, uh, let's see who wants to be God this year. No, no, no. God's theocracy is not a democracy. He is not installed to power by anyone, so no one dictates his ends. He cannot be manipulated. He cannot be bribed. He cannot be controlled. Even the things that he pursues, you see, God's pursuit is not of your happiness. You know, some of you perhaps have entertained the thought that, you see, God is committed to my happiness. Almost that God's end and his work is towards making you happy. No, let me surprise you. God's end is his own glory. He pursues his own glory. God is the creator and we are his creatures. We don't stand before him as equals. We don't engage with him as peers. No, we cannot judge him or question any of his deeds. No, no, no. Even the most righteous of us. Listen to what Job says in chapter 9, verse 12. Job says, if he takes away, who can stop him? This is Job. In the midst of his troubles, a righteous man, Job, says of God, if he takes away, who can stop him? Who dares to ask him? What are you doing? Job has come to this realization of the sovereignty of God. Isaiah, talking of God, says that I am God who declares the end from the beginning. This is chapter 46, verse 10. From ancient times, the things that are not yet done, my counsel will stand. I will do my pleasure. Do you see, God is not bound by your will or bound by your likings or your happiness. Understand this, that God's authority is rooted not on what we think about him, not on what we regard him to be. No, no, no. He does not not reign because you acknowledge that he is supposed to reign. No, he reigns because he has a right to reign. You see, his reign is comprehensive of our creation. And not just now. From eternity beginning, where he commanded the vast emptiness, and he said to the emptiness, by his command, let there be. And everything we see in the universe came to existence by the power of his word. God does not sit back to wait for you or consult you about the decisions that he makes. No, no, no. The birds of the air, the creatures of the the land, the fishes under the sea, all of them are subject to his sovereign rule. Psalms chapter 90 verse 2 tells us, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever, you have formed the earth. Because from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Friends, we need to understand the sovereignty of God. It's the foundation on which all of the the resolutions that you will make this year, or the troubles you will face this year, or the successes that you will face this year, must be founded. Without this fundamental truth about the sovereignty of God... Many of us will lead lives that are frustrated and amiss because we do not know the God with whom, with whom we are engaging. As for man, it is the breath of the Lord that sustains him. Acts chapter 17 verse 28. What does it tell us? That in him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. He removes his breath and we are done. He calls us the grass of the field. We are here today, tomorrow we are gone. Jesus himself will ask, okay, so by worrying, who among you can ever add an hour to their lives, do you realize how weak and frail and dependent you are on God? He is the sovereign one and you are not. When your days are over, and God comes for you. No one can hinder him. Isaiah chapter 14 verse 27 says, "When the Lord has purposed, who can thwart His purposes? When His hand is outstretched, who can turn his back? You see, you see when God comes in his interaction with Israel at Sinai. So he has rescued these people for himself from Egypt, a, land, uh, a nation that is great, about 600,000 men, without the ch- counting the children and the, and the women. So maybe about a million plus, or perhaps two million. And God comes to them at Mount Sinai. And you know, there's a whole nation. God does not come with meekness, And say to them, oh yeah, Moses, So I'd like you to just uh, constitute like 24 guys. You know, two from every tribe. uh, Bring them together so that I may consult on how exactly you want us to govern each other. No, no, no. The Bible tells us that with trembling, he comes to the mountain. He comes with lightning and with thunder. Everyone is terrified. And then he calls Moses. First, he sets the parameters and says, let no one approach that mountain. Secondly, Moses, come up, you alone. Yeah, and with Joshua. And he says, these commands I give you, go tell the Israelites that they must obey them. Friends, when we are dealing with God, you are not on the same plane. Where now he's calling Barazas for us to converse. No, 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 the Lord reigns. Even now, he is reigning. And it is on us to obey him. Those who refused to obey him fell in the desert. For those 40 years of wandering, they, they fell in the desert because they refused to obey God. He's not negotiating, his authority stands. You might not recognize this authority you might not even see it apparent, because the world has clouded some things to make us not see clearly what the authority of God is. But you see, even if you don't recognize it, that does not mean that it does not exist. On that day when he shall come again, Christ... By the shout of the archangel, the trumpet sound, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, even those who pierced him will look upon him and will say, truly this guy is Lord. When he sits on the judgment seat and all of us are called to account, indeed truly then shall we say he had the authority. Now, you see, the implications of this are great. First, there's no accepting God's lordship without his sovereignty. There's no accept- loving God without accepting his rule and right over your affairs. You see, one of the things that I hear from many congregants here, you know you are the pastor in charge of prayer. I want, I want, I'd like us to just see how after every sermon we can have an altar call. Just juicy, I came with my brother. You know, the sermon was so rich, but I hope to have altar call. Because I'm going to and for sure, I'm going to be a little Because sometimes the altar call gives us this illusion that we have the power to say yes to Jesus that it is on us to choose God and i'm not saying that god has not given us a choice but sometimes we give ourselves an authority that does not belong to us to think that perhaps we have this room inside our hearts and you know the, the verse of revelation chapter 3 verse 20 Anyway, when we are coming, we will debunk that a little. And we say that the Lord is knocking at your door. Yes. He desires that you just open the door and he comes in. And all of us feel, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to open the door to the Lord. Friends, there is something amiss about that. Because when God needs your soul, he doesn't come knocking at your door. You see, when God has purpose to save you, he doesn't come knocking at your door. The soul belongs to him. He comes for it. The Bible says that he comes and changes the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. He says that you were dead in your transgressions when he called you. How did any dead in the transgressions guy tell himself, oh God, I need you? You and I have have no power to invite God in our hearts unless God himself is already in our hearts. What we do in an altar call, and we come to God and say, ah, Jesus, oh, come into my life. He is already inside there. He's the only one who can cause the godly sorrow that you are experiencing. By this time, there is significant work that has already happened in your heart. By the time we are aware of what God has been doing, it's because he's been in there. So you do not give God keys to your heart. God comes and takes the keys when he wants. That's why I ask you to pray honestly for your siblings that they may be saved. Because he who is the Savior, it's not them who choose the Savior. The Savior comes for them. He comes and rescues us from our death. He comes and snatches us from the jaws of death. That is the sovereignty of God, even of our lives. Whether we like it or not, God is sovereign. Now, you see, we are free to choose to obey God or not. That's where this free will thing comes in. Where you say, oh, I have the free will, God gave me the free will. Yes, God has given you the free will. To obey him or to disobey him. Joshua now has A dilemma before him, if it was, will you do what the Lord requires of you or not? God has left you that choice. That's your free will. But be aware that when you choose one way or the other, please also, it's not just the action, but also the consequence of which. For those who choose to disobey, then they choose death as Moses said, before you I have laid death and life. And for those who choose to obey and to follow the Lord, they choose life as well. We are dependent on God. We cannot be self-rulers. You cannot wake up in the morning and say, I don't want to be ruled by God. You may purport that you are not being ruled by God. But it is not true. He's still ruling. And you are one of the ones who are subject to his rule. We are sustained by God's power. Thirdly, the implication is that all authority is delegated authority. We hold authority in trust from God. Now, I want to say this carefully because someone earlier asked me what about Satan? Satan, does he hold authority from God? Has God given authority to Satan as well? No, no, no. Let's not confuse things here. Satan has no authority. Satan has never been given authority by God. Satan is as a dictator or as a you know, the guys who do a coup d'etat. What did the Bible What does the Bible say? He said of himself, "I will rise above the stars of God." I will set my throne above the throne of God. Satan wanted to usurp the authority of God. God never came and gave Satan the authority and said, here is the authority, go with it. In fact, even now, Satan has no authority. The authority that he wields is the authority of death. You know what God gave authority? God gave death authority. God said to Adam and Eve, you know, if you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Death was given authority. Authority to have hold over Adam should Adam sin. But sin seeing this opportunity, and you know, this is what Paul says in Romans that sin seeing this opportunity, ah, Satan seeing this opportunity, ah, comes and entices man and says, guess what? you also can be like God, knowing good and evil. Aha! The same sin that he was involved in, the sin of wanting to usurp the authority of God, he entices man to do the exact same thing. To usurp the authority from God, take matters in my own hands, not knowing that by so doing, you have given yourself over to become a slave of death. Death now has authority over you. In fact, death has authority over all mankind, the Bible tells us. Until Christ came and removed us from death, death still reigns over us. It has the authority to reign over us. The implications of this is great. And I hope that by God we will understand what exactly it means to live under the sovereign rule of God. Satan is a slave to death. He will die. Even now he works as a slave to death. He's an agent of death. You who tries to usurp the authority of God, you will also be slave to death. And death will have hold over you. Let's go to the second thing, which is the willful submission of man. Now, having considered that God is sovereign, Joshua is told by God, this command I give you, you must fully obey it. You must not turn to the right or to the left of it. You must not bend it or improvise it. I have not given you the right to do that. I want you to walk that straight line in obedience, meditating on it day and night. It must be constantly on your mouth. Speak it, memorize it, sing it, pray it. Until it is all you know, until it is all you are. You see, the law that God is telling Moses about, Joshua about here is not the law of Moses. At least not what the law of Moses means. It's not the law that belongs to Moses. No, no, no. It is the law that Moses gave, yes, but gave from God. The law belonged to God. Why is this important for us to notice? Because God alone is righteous. There is no one else who has the right to set the bar or the standard other than God himself. If there are laws to be followed in this world, those laws must uh, must be made by God. He is the only one who can set the standard for morality or ethics or justice or compassion or social justice. Only our God, he alone. All other laws that men make, that God allows to stand, that we look at and say, wow, this is right. All those laws are derivative from the law of God they are derivatives either from the laws of nature that God has set or the laws of conscience or the laws that are found in his word. Go and do your investigation. And any other law that comes out or, or out of what God has already done, if there is a law that is outside the law of God, whether in conscience, in nature, or in his word, that law is not a just law. You see, that is why this law is worthy of our obedience. Because it is righteous. Because the one who gave it is righteous. The problem is, man is sinful and he craves autonomy. Man hopes to be loosed of the shackles of the law, the restraints of authority. Ah, who wants someone hovering over their head? We all want to be the CEO. dictates how things are going to go. Or the chairman of that board. Because what good is it to have 49% of the shares if you can't make the decisions? I want to be the one with the 51%. The decision making, the authority. And we celebrate freedom from authority, don't we? For example, if we shake free from the law of gravity think about it the day the first plane took off ah, and every human being is looking at uh. we have finally defied the law of gravity something is floating on the air and moving and not being brought down immediately ah that is worth celebrating what about the law of darkness where God had said that there is night and there is day Night for resting and days. And then we discovered, you know what? Albert Einstein. Kumba, we can defy the law of darkness at night. The lamp, oh my goodness. Look, light. We can work at night. Now there's even technology to make plants grow at night. Because of light. Ah, we celebrate that, don't we? But you see, it's not just the freedom from the law of nature that we desire. Lately, we have started to explore what it means to be free from the law of conscience. And even if God has placed in us the conscience to tell us that something is evil, oh, no, this gives me, makes me cringe. No, we say, ah, that is just fear that is speaking. You try it. Then we say, I don't think that is right. No, 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 no. Try it. You'll see. Even that which God has put in our conscience. Things like identity. Things like sexual orientation. You know what sexual orientation you want to be having. But no, I will shake myself from from the bounds of conscience. It will not have a hold on me. I can muscle the energy to do this. And you defy your conscience. You sin against it. Even if God has placed it there as almost an intrinsic uh, measure. You know the way, the way a plane has a, what do we call it? The, the, is it the radar? The one that when you are about to hit a mountain it tells you pull up. Pull up. Pull up. Pull up. But you and I, because we want to defy the law of conscience, we say, no, I will not pull up. Conscience. God's law in our hearts. I cannot even say about God's word how often men have desired to be free of the law of God's word. Have you seen marriage, for example? Have you heard about open marriages? To even use marriage and open in the same sentence is defiling the very definition of what marriage is. But no, 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 no. Man will not be bound by the law of God. I will define marriage as I find fit. This defiance is what Satan did, desiring to usurp the authority of God. You see, even in our best day, the carnal man He obeys God not out of honor of his inherent authority that he wills. No. He obeys God because perhaps there is some gains to be received. Perhaps there is some punishment to be avoided. Otherwise, he will most likely defy. This This ought not to be the case for us believers. We should obey God because he owns us. He created us. We belong to him. This is what it means to call God, Jesus, Lord. Lord is master. Lord is, I belong to you. Maybe this word has just lost meaning because of our day. But in those days when someone calls you Lord, you own them. You put a tattoo on them. And they work for you. And and if they are found somewhere else, like... uh, is it Phil- uh, Phil- uh, uh Onesmas? He's brought back because he belongs to you. He's your slave. But now, speaking of God as Lord is just, we don't honor his authority. We don't see as though we belong to him. He created us. He's the one who knows the purpose for him creating us. We ought to honor him for that. In addition, God is good. He is good to us. Therefore, his law must be good to us. It's good for us, for our joy, for our fulfillment, for our hope, for our peace. Oh, brothers and sisters, obedience to God is not subjugation. It's not slavery. No, God is not a tyrant. He is a kind and loving and gracious and pure shepherd who says that he tends his sheep with gentle care. How blessed it must be then for us to live under the authority of God, to willfully surrender ourselves to the law, and to delight ourselves in the obedience of God. Psalm 119, David will say, verse 1 to 8. Psalm 119, verse 1 to 8. Blessed are those who, whose ways are, bl- are, are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes, who seek him with all their hearts. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. They are, they are, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. or oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart. I will learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Do you see, friends, how David praises the obedience to the law of God? For us to be truly blessed, as he says, blessed are. We must obey the law of God. Let us not use our freedom or our free will towards disobedience, to become rebels against him. No. Let us make this choice to obey him out of necessity because we also know the consequences of not obeying and really are we able to stand the consequences of disobedience Hebrews chapter 12 verse 25 the writer of Hebrews talking to Israel uh, talking of Israel says see that you do not refuse the one who speaks the one who speaks from heaven Jesus Christ because if your forefathers if your forefathers did not escape punishment for their disobedience how much more if you defile the one who speaks from heaven how much more if you do not obey you who have come under the grace of Christ but I ask how will you obey that which you do not know so God commands Joshua in order for you to obey me you must know my law first So this is what I want, to meditate day and night on my law, that you may be careful to do it. So we start with knowledge, and then follows obedience. Listen to Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1 says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. Do you see that the man who is truly blessed, this guy who does all things and prospers, the man that you desire to be this year, I hope, that the precursor to him being this is that he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. He delights himself in the law of the Lord. Do not sit at the seat of mockers, or walk at the way of sinners, or stand in the way of the wicked. Is a der- is a derivative of one whose heart meditates on the law of the Lord. Let me mention three implications of this. First, to willfully submit yourself to the law of God, you will not increasingly walk in obedience if you are not studying God's word. Psalms 119, I have hidden, this verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. If you want to walk in a way that you are obeying God and not sinning against God, you must hide the word of the Lord in your heart. Psalms chapter 40, uh, verse 8, I desire to do your will, O God, so your law is within my heart. You see, you don't have the joy or privilege or time to take your Bible or to open your U you version every time you are found with a dile- dilemma as you are driving on traffic. Should I cut the line or not? Oh, let me go to Leviticus and find out. That's why you hide the law of the Lord in your heart. Then you will know what to do at that moment in time. Secondly, trust the lawgiver. You say "Oh, God is loving and he's holy. He's righteous and he's good. There are some things that will happen to you this year. And you will think that the law of the Lord perhaps is burdensome. Even though God says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you will say, you know, if I was in the position of God, I don't think I would have created this law, for example. But God is holy and his law is holy too. So we obey even if it doesn't make sense. Because of what God is. We must trust the Lawgiver. Again, God might require you to do some things or to go through some things this year that will look to you as not good. And you'll say, God, this is not good for me. But God says it is good for you. Maybe suffering, maybe sorrow, maybe pain. And you're saying, God, I don't want this. Trust him. The Bible, we say that all that God ordains is right. He who is righteous, if he has ordained something for you or a path for you, then that path is good for you to Trust him. Trust him with your path this year. Say to him, wherever you take me, I will go. And this is not to say that you shouldn't pray. You know the way Eli, after he was told by Samuel, so Samuel, the Lord speaks to Samuel, and Samuel comes and says, okay, Uh, Eli asks, what has the Lord told you? And he's a bit hesitant and says, swear to me that you'll tell me everything. Okay, he says, okay, Uh, he said that he will destroy your whole household. Because your children have been sinning, and he will kill all of them on the same day. Oh, Early hearing this says, okay, he is God. Let him do what is good in his eyes. That's not the kind of attitude I'm asking you to adopt this year. Not because God is sovereign that now you just surrender. No, there are things that God has desired to do this year on account of your prayer. He's just waiting, saying, okay, I want to bless you, but I need you to pray about us. So is it that you feel God has withheld something from you, for example? Oh, that job is not coming. Or that marriage. Or that child. Or even that healing of a loved one. God perhaps has ordained that he will do that through your prayer. So go ahead and pray and petition him for it. Our sovereign God is not a dictator who does not listen. No. Our God is one who hears and answers our prayers. So petition Him. Even if He doesn't do it, He will provide grace sufficient for you to go through it. Finally, we've talked about the sovereignty of God and the willful submission of man. Let's consider success and prosperity. You see Joshua in chapter eight, verse uh, in uh, chapter one, verse eight. He says, then you will be prosperous and successful. And I know many of you are saying, Mother why didn't you start there? It's a new year. Tell us about success and prosperity. I also like the sound of that. You wish these were the first words that God spoke to you? Joshua. Come to Joshua and say, Joshua, my servant Moses is dead but you will be successful and prosperous. Hallelujah. Yes. Ah, very nice. You will be the head and not the tail. Uh-huh. Yes, blessings shall overtake you, my friend. In the country and in the city, there is no one who will stand against you. Ah, you will learn from many but no one will borrow from you. Ah. Oh, no. You will learn, learn from many. Will uh, That one ever upwards and never downwards. Huh? These are blessings that are found in Deuteronomy 28. I know many of you have gone and professed and, you know, prayed those words over your life and said the amen. But we disregard what is written in verse 1. Verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 28 says, if you obey the Lord your God and carefully follow in his commands then these blessings shall follow you. But we want to be overtaken by the blessings. We want the blessings shall overtake me. Amen. But we disregard the condition here. The requirement that God places here. You must feel like you want to say, ah, walk quickly through that part. Let's get to the good part. Let's get to the good stuff. Leave the conditions behind. For that reason, year after year, kesha after kesha, beginning of the year, overnight prayer service after overnight prayer service, prophecy after prophecy, with anointing and laying of hands, there is no blessings that will come to you. And you're wondering, what is it? I don't know how much anointing. I need somewhere that a prophet... Lay the hands on me so that uh, I may get success this year. Blessings continue to overtake you, but you never catch up with them because you have not obeyed the word of the Lord. There is no submission in your heart to the word of the Lord, so there is no blessedness for you, there is no success, there is no prosperity. Psalm chapter 1. This man who is like a tree by the stream of water, the one who bears fruit in season, the one whose leaves do not wither, the one who prospers in all that he does, that man also delights in the, in the word of the Lord. That man also obeys the word of the Lord. That man is submitted to the law of God. Friends, at this point it is needful for me to define what success is. And our culture has told us that lands and houses and many goods is what amounts to success. But I ask, is it that what God means when he talks about success? Psalm chapter 33 verse 2 tells me that blessed is the nation whose God is their Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. Now, this kind of blessedness we are talking about. The one that Joshua is being told you will prosper and you will be successful. Is it the blessedness of accumulation of lands and goods? Is our greatest blessedness the receiving of wealth and riches? Or children around our table? Or a good marriage with a loving wife? Or death in a good old age? Is that what amounts to blessedness? Is that the greatest blessedness? I say to us that yes, these things are to be desired. And yes, they approve of God's blessedness. But, but that is not the highest of blessedness. The highest blessedness is a union of man with God. The highest blessedness, I say, is sharing in the deity of Christ. Inclusion into the family of God. That is greatest blessedness. It is becoming a people of his inheritance. You see if we are to define blessedness as the uh, as the as the as the former which is the wealth the children the good marriage the loving wife the death and a good old age the riches then Jesus was cast he lived a cast life there was nothing to show for him he had no lands or riches that defined him he had no marriage or a good wife or nice children around the table He did not die at a good old age. Perhaps then, Maura here is more blessed than Christ. Now that he has children and a wife and some riches, I'm not sure. uh, (laughs) Blessedness for us. We must reorient our thinking of what blessedness is this year as we are making our New Year resolutions, as we are pleading with God, God, give me this, give me this, give me that, must we remember that true blessedness, true blessedness is being with God. God himself is the treasure, not necessarily the things that he gives us. If those gifts are going to rob your affection from God, and and you are going to love the gifts and not the gift giver, then I pray that He will not give you that kind of success. If that kind of success is going to take you from Him, then you will miss out on the blessedness that He has promised. May He keep then those things from you. But if our hearts are tethered to God, that we decide and we resolve this year, that there is nothing God is going to give us or take away from us that is going to affect our affection of Him, then you have achieved true blessedness, I say. And the Bible tells us all these other things shall be added unto us. The the lands, the riches, the goods will come after our hearts are truly tethered to God. So love God this year. Serve God without fear. Ah, church of God. Look not to any man to bless you or to speak blessings over you. Trust the Lord knows. And he will bless you. You don't need someone to talk to to bless you. You don't need a man of God to lay hands on you for you to be blessed. Meditate on the word of God day and night, delight in the law of the Lord. You will be blessed. Jesus, teaching his disciples, talks about a rich fool in a parable who made a bumper harvest and he did the prudent thing that any of us will do. He brought down his small buns and put up bigger buns so that they can fit the harvest. Then he said to himself, oh, so, ah, make merry. Just relax. You have many goods laid up for many days. Isn't that what we all desire? That we get to a place where our money works for us? You know? Then we can do the globetrotting that we have always desired. And we can, you know, serve the Lord, yeah? As I enjoy the blessings of the Lord. Hallelujah. But God calls him a fool. He says, you fool. Because he neglects the gift giver, we do not see him saying, oh, thank you, God, for this bumper harvest. All these goods belong to you anyway. The way David says when he's dedicating the temple, "Uh uh-uh says, I have laid for myself many goods. And God says, okay, fool, I will take your life and we will see what will become of all that I have given. Change your understanding of blessedness this year. Desire to fellowship with God. Enjoy his good and perfect gifts for you. Delight in his great and precious promises. And as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Submit yourself, therefore, I say, under God's mighty hand, so that at the proper time, we may exalt you. The Lord bless His word, and the Lord keep it.